today that this last week in our children's ministry, we had special outreach event with junior high and we had four kids pray to accept Christ on Wednesday night and then through our children's ministry, another one. So as a church, you're supposed to clap now or something. I, I, it's exciting. I, I wanted, I wanted to, to just take a minute and say thank you to, you know, we just kind of get the sense of the excitement of what happens in heaven. There's these glimpses when it's described as a name being written in the book of life or that the, the Lord tells us we're told that there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than a thousand righteous people don't need to. Like this is the description of a party in heaven. And I'm just going to ask you to join me together as we move into this time of studying God's word together that, Lord, as we come before you, we just want to celebrate you. We want to thank you for the way that you uh, know our names, that you know our story, Lord, that you can take a person from death to life, Lord, that we, we think of that image with Nicodemus and the Lord Jesus Christ and the description of being born again, and that there are individuals this week that have chosen to accept you, to take you at your word, to go from death to life, and we just celebrate that as a church body. We rejoice in the way that you work in our lives. We Thank you for those who sacrificially give because you've impacted their lives so much and they want to invest in that same way in other people's lives. And so, Lord, today on this morning, we don't take for granted the privilege to worship together. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the joy it is to engage with those who we've known, some for years, for others that are here for the first time. We ask that they would feel deeply welcome and that today when they leave this place, they wouldn't say that they just enjoyed a church service or they uh, enjoyed the different bits and pieces of the service, but that they would leave here today saying that they encountered the living God. We thank you and praise you for your goodness. We joyfully accept the, the privilege of being in your presence when we ask that your will would be done as we continue, continue to study your word together in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word catalyst, but for me, I know that there's, there's, there's a different way to look at this, but I want to encourage you as we talk about this word catalyst and the role that Nehemiah is going to play is that he is going to spark something that's going to change literally the world. And it's going to be a normal guy that chooses to be used by the Lord in a significant way. He's going to pray. We're going to talk about this at the end of the message today. He's going to pray a God-sized prayer, and he's going to attempt something that's so great that unless God is in it, that it's doomed to failure. I don't know what your last week was like. But I want to challenge you today when it comes to how we approach what it means to be used by our living God, that we would be able to accept the fact that he's intimately involved in our world and that his desire for us is to pray God-sized prayers. Nehemiah, we're going to see today, and the verses that we're going to look together, was a guy who chose to embrace God-sized prayers. In fact, Nehemiah would have been a guy, if he lived in New Testament times, that this, this verse would have really described him, the way that it's described in Peter. It says this, if you're not familiar with it, it says, his divine power has given us everything 
that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. Now imagine if that verse that his divine power has given us some of what we need, right? And we got to figure out how to make up the rest. Isn't that the way we choose to live our lives sometimes, right? Like I need to find somebody who could supplement what God hasn't provided for me. Or I need to find an opportunity where I can just dig a little harder, try a little harder in my own strength to make up the gap. But the way it's described here, it says his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. This, this image for me is a helpful one. Can you imagine for a second that an individual were, were on an escalator and then it stopped working and then they found themselves paralyzed, right? Even just for a minute, like, what do I do now? the escalator has stopped, right? You, you laugh at it because you recognize we have the ability to keep moving forward, right? We've been given the resources that we need. But it's possible for some of us that we choose to remain paralyzed. I love this video. If you've seen it before, you'll laugh with me as we watch this together. It kind of illustrates this in a beautiful way. That's not good. Oh, I don't need this. I'm already late. Somebody will come. Anybody out there? Do you have a phone? No. Sorry. Somebody! Hello? There are two people stuck on an escalator and we need help. Now. Would somebody please do something? Help! <laughs> I don't believe this. You gotta be kidding me. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> well, there's not enough left to do, is it? Hey, don't worry about it. I'll fix it in a second. <laughs> he said he could fix it. <laughs> All right. All right. That's more like it. He says he can fix it. <laughs> you guys saw that coming, didn't you? A few of you saw that coming. So, so if we can be honest with ourselves, right? If we can talk about our lives for a second and we can talk about what we're waiting for or our life experiences, that for some of us, we're waiting for someone to fix our circumstances. I'm not suggesting for a minute that they're not difficult, but what I want to suggest to you, the way that the, the, um, what we see happens with Nehemiah is that he was a man that chose to see his circumstances and they're going to be complicated but he's going to be a man who chooses to see his circumstances through the lens of God. And he's ultimately going to declare in some level his understanding of God, that his God is bigger than her, his circumstances, that he's got this, that it's going to be okay. We, if we go back to that Peter passage, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. We could say this in a different way. We lack nothing, right? We, we lack nothing in order for us to be able to move forward. The challenge for us is to live that way. 
And Nehemiah models this beautifully in God's word. In the section that we're going to look at, the first chapter, as we've been going through Nehemiah together, is we see his emphasis on prayer, his God-sized prayers. These prayers that recognize how big God is, that recognize what God can provide for us. And, and in a sense, Nehemiah had been praying expectantly, preparing himself for this very moment. The one that we're going to look at in the verses today is, is this electrified moment in the history of Israel where he's ultimately going to ask Artaxerxes, the king of lowercase k, kings of the world of that day, one of the greatest kings of the day, and he's ultimately going to ask him not only for a leave of absence, but he's going to ask him for authority and the resources to rebuild the walls of Israel, a decree that this very man had already said ought not to be done. And he's going to do it in such a way that it's amazing. It's courageous. It's bold. And the foundation of prayer is going to be part of what, what we see. Nehemiah expected God to do something. He prayed expectantly. And what we see is that when this moment came, he didn't stay paralyzed. He didn't choose to ask for his own benefit. But instead, what he did was he, he understood who, Nehemiah, who, who the king Artaxerxes was, and he understood how he fit, Nehemiah, how he fit together with the king. Now, in most of our lives, my guess is when it comes to position or time in our life, when we lack something, that we often look to someone else to solve it. I love this image of the trapeze. Somebody else is going to fix this for us. They're going to help us through it. They're going to get us through it. And do you see what Nehemiah says? It's great. We caught this at the end of last sermon last week. And that was at the end of his prayer, he's talking about one of the most powerful men in the world, his boss, the person who literally had the ability to kill him at will. And what he says about him is he says this prayer, Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight and fear your name and give success to your servant today. And grant him mercy in the sight of, this is beautiful, this man. He understood who Artaxerxes was, but he understood him to be just a man. And he also understood that he was praying to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I suppose for some of us, we are desperately dependent upon other people to pull us through, to, to be our safety net, to be the ones who will move us forward. And if you get this message this morning, what I'm challenging you to be is the person who's the catalyst for change. I'm challenging you to be the person in your workplace, in your home, in your family, in the dynamics that God's placed you in, that you are ultimately the person who decides that you're going to live in what we see in Nehemiah's life, prayerful expectation. Lord, what are you going to do today? How are you going to work today? How are you going to be intimately involved in the circumstances of my life? I don't know how you pray, but for me, I think it's, it's amazing to me how often I pray for things, and then when God answers them, I'm kind of shocked by it, you know? Yesterday, we went to Chick-fil-A as a family, and when we went in there, there were four different people that were there that in the last week, I'd prayed for the opportunity to connect with them, and it took me until like person number four till I realized maybe God was in this Chick-fil-A visit, you know? Um, I was so excited to see one friend. I gave him a giant hug, and he spilled like his giant-sized Coke on top of somebody. If that was you, I'm sorry. Uh, but, but there's a component of this that I believe that we can live every moment of our lives with an expectation that God's going to answer the prayers that we prayed. When I was in high school, I grew up in the Dayton area. When I was in high school, there was a friend of mine. His name was Jeff. We played sports together. He had a different faith than I had growing up, but it was a guy who I just prayed for. We had deep spiritual conversations with. Well, we left 
from there, I went on to seminary in Dallas. I was in a suburb of Dallas, a place I'd never been before. And at Home Depot, stopping to pick up something random. You guys see where I'm going with this? At Home Depot, I ended up bumping into Jeff years later. He ended up inviting me back to his home. And, and as I'm driving to his home, there's a moment for me when I'm just like, God, you're so good. Your GPS system is so perfect, right? Like that you, you know what's going on and you chose to give me the privilege to be a part of. So I don't understand why that shocks us, right? Like I don't understand why when God works in the intimacy of his creation, chooses to give us the opportunity to see direct answers to our prayer, that, that, it, that we find ourselves shocked. Nehemiah certainly wasn't shocked. He was a man who chose to live in prayerful anticipation, What we know about the context of what we're going to see in the text today is that Nehemiah is going to ultimately go to his boss. He's the cupbearer to the king, and he's going to be sad in the presence of the king. Interestingly, in those days, there's there's a lot of historical um, events that surrounded this, but this is in Persia, an individual approaching the king. And there are these great descriptions that we have of those days that they used to say that, that a king just assumed that being in his presence made everyone happy. Um, that's the way I try to live my life, right? And just being in my presence. Make, I assume, don't assume that, though. That's a dangerous thing to assume. And here, this description um, on this mural is of an individual who's approaching the king. And they have their hand covering their mouth so to not um, offend the king with their bad breath. Isn't that great? I love this, this description. So everything is focused in on the authority of the king. And what we know from the book of Esther is there's this description of no one being allowed to even mourn around the king. Nobody was sad around. It was, it was protected. And here, what we know from the words that Nehemiah is going to describe is that he was never upset in the presence of the king. Can you imagine your boss saying that about you or your teachers? They'd, he'd never seen Nehemiah be upset. And what happens now is that Nehemiah is going to ultimately approach the king. He tells us later in the text that he was scared, that there was an intensity to this. But what we also see is that we see that that Nehemiah had planned. We've been studying this together, that Nehemiah spent the entire first chapter showing us how to pray. That he prayed fervently, he prayed expectantly, that he trusted that God was going to answer his prayers. He adored the Lord, he confessed before the Lord. He was thankful before the Lord. And then he prayed a thy will be done kind of prayer. God, work in the midst of what's happening. And, and here, what we see, I think for some of us, we, we approach prayer from a perspective that says that it's contrary to planning or contrary to having goals or things that we hope to see accomplished. And instead, I think Nehemiah communicates to us with his lifestyle that prayer is where planning begins, that he prayed expectantly. I like the way that Henry Blackaby puts it when it comes to what it means for us to have God-sized prayers in his book, Experiencing God. He says, he says, see where God is at work and then join him. Isn't that, isn't that a great description? And that's what I think Nehemiah was going to do, that he's going to ultimately see a lack of forward progress, and he's going to be a part of choosing to, to pursue what God wants to do through King Artaxerxes. So Nehemiah chooses to do something that was humbling, but also something that put him at great risk. He chose to let any pretense come, um, come down. So we know from his interaction with his brother in chapter one that he'd heard the news that the walls were still down. 
and he was saddened. Now he chooses to let the king see what had happened. And we see this in the text. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, this we know from those dates would give us about 400 years before the Lord Jesus Christ, 444 in the spring, when wine was before him. Remember, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He tests the wine. He chooses the wine carefully on behalf of the king. And when the wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. That, that description, we've, we've hinted at this already, but it was inappropriate. And when he had his new worker's orientation as a cupbearer, he would have been specifically told, you're never downcast before the king. And if you are, you put your own life at risk. Verse 2, and the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. He, he saw the authenticity of what Nehemiah was going through. And then I was very much afraid. At this point in the story, the way it's recorded in history, you get this sense of Nehemiah. He's, he's shaking. He realizes what he's about to get into. I I don't know where we get the mindset that the Christian life is something that's intended to be easy or simple or man-sized. I, I, think, I think what we see in this context and what we see in God's word often is that it's so much bigger than us. Nehemiah is shaking because he's about to do something huge, right? But what he does is he chooses to allow the mask to come down. That Artaxerxes comments on the fact that he's not sick, that he's He's um, basically lovesick for the people in his community in Jerusalem that, that are separate from his immediate circumstances, but that are suffering. And Nehemiah chooses to seize this opportunity. This is interesting. He chooses to talk to his boss. His boss says, why, is, why are you sad? Can you imagine for a second if Nehemiah was like, yeah, I'd like Tuesdays off and a raise. Wouldn't that be? Instead of fighting for his own benefit, what he chooses to do is he chooses to basically say, my people have a greater need. They're not even in the, my immediate vicinity, but my people have a significant need, and I want to be a part of the solution. So Nehemiah lets that mask come down. He puts away any pretense. He courageously decides that he's going to do this, even in the midst of his being very much afraid. In our culture today, we're good at masks, aren't we? It's just one of those things we're gifted at doing. Sometimes it's very difficult for us to let other people into the real world where we really struggle, what we're really going through. Did a leadership exercise with a group of people, and um, the challenge for us was to imagine if an alien came to a dinner party at your home, what would be some of the cultural norms that they would think were weird um, when they came to your house? So can you think of a few of those? Like, like one of them would be the fact that we shake hands. You can admit that could be kind of weird, right? Or or that we have certain animals that we eat and certain animals that we keep as pets, right? You, see, you guys tracking with me? But, but one of them that was said in the group that I was with is they said that someone on the outside could probably observe that when asked the question, how are you doing, that our response is never true, right? When we're asked the question, how are you doing, that the response is usually a lie, Right? We get asked that question all the time, don't we? In Northeast Ohio, we're rugged, we're individual, we got, we got our act together, right? So how are you doing? 
Oh, I'm doing fine. Well, what's weird about being a pastor is that often I know some of the story of what's going on behind the scenes. And I know it's just a lie, right? Like, it's not true. You're going through a crisis. You're struggling. You're going through a lot. And what Nehemiah chose to do is he chose to allow that mask to come down. And it, it really was what we know from the earlier verses that he just allowed Artaxerxes to see what was really going on in his life. And that's something on a side note that could be extremely valuable for some of us to allow pretense to fall and to allow other people into our lives. What we see in the heat of the moment is that Nehemiah spontaneously prays. I like that this prayer connects to all of those prayers that we saw before. Do you guys remember how long Nehemiah prayed for? Four months that's recorded. So here in the heat of the moment when he's about to do something that scared him, that required great courage, that he was very much afraid, what we see in the text is that he says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. I guess it's good to affirm your boss, right? Um, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lives, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now you guys remember that his boss was a part of the reason why those walls have not been rebuilt. So the courage that he shows, the boldness that he shows is quite profound. He says in verse 4, Then the king said to me, why are you, um, what are you requesting? And then we see this spontaneous prayer from Nehemiah. So I prayed to the God of heaven. This prayer was the continuation of four months of prayer. This is, this is that spontaneous moment where he aligns himself with that bold prayer that talks about the living God that knows our needs more than what we do. He adores and he confesses things. All of that is the way he prayed before. And now what he chooses to do is he just says the simple prayer to the Lord. So I prayed to the God of heaven. I, I think it's, it's helpful for us to, to see this through this kind of perspective. When we align our desire with God's intentions, there are amazing things that can happen. This is so great what happens in the text. What we see is that Nehemiah is not just going to ask off a couple of weeks. He's actually going to ask off for 12 years, all right? So it, his, his request was, was huge. He's not just going to ask that the king change what his, his former mandate was, that the walls not be rebuild, rebuilt, but ultimately he's going to ask that he has the authority to be able to rebuild the walls and he gets papers that prove it. And then finally, he's going to receive the ability to not only rebuild the walls at their own expense, but that the king would provide the resources to rebuild the wall. I think the original hearers of this would have been shock and awe. What? He's going to ask for What? And it's, it's really one of those times where it's one of those just God-sized prayers that he says, I think God can do this. He, he's got this. And I, I love this. John Hagee um, puts it this way. He says, attempt something so great that unless God is in it, that it's doomed to failure. It's a great quote, isn't it? Attempt something so great that unless God is in it, that it is doomed to failure. That's exactly what Nehemiah chose to do. He chose to do something tremendously significant. It says this in verse 5. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I might rebuild it. So he asks specifically for the rebuilding of the city. Verse 6, and the king said to me, 
with the, king, with the queen sitting beside him. How long will you be gone? And when will you return? And we know that it ultimately, I don't know how long he said, uh, but what we know is that it turns out to be over 12 years. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. We don't know in the text why the, why the queen is referenced here. Some commentators uh, talk about this potentially even being Esther, which is amazing. I'm not sure who this was. I'm not sure why she's referenced, but there's a part of this that you just have this sense of God's in control. God's going to work, whether he's going to work through the princess whether or the queen, whether he's going to work through um, other miraculous ways, or maybe it's just going to be the humble servant, Nehemiah. Verse 7 goes on to say this, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and let and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah didn't look at this like he had, uh, you know, followed all the steps of how to win friends and influence people, that his cleverness was what got this, this, you know, to pan out the way that he wanted it to. You see, those last words in that last verse that we read is that his description was, the king gave me what I asked, and you almost get that sense that he expected it, right? The king gave me what I asked, and the good hand of my God was upon me. If you haven't experienced that kind of blessing in your life, there's a challenge that I have for you today, and that is to strive to align your life with what God's will is, to strive to pray the kind of prayers that God prays, to, to strive to be the kind of person that sees your circumstances not as just your, for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And that's what Nehemiah was a man who was amazingly gifted to do. He knew that he wasn't alone. He knew that God was involved in this process and it eclipsed the fear that would have paralyzed him, that he wasn't stuck, unwilling to move, but he understood that he had the resources of the King of Kings and the Lord, Lord of Lords in the audience of a lowercase King of Kings. It's so encouraging to me that Nehemiah ultimately allows himself to be the catalyst, the spark that's going to ignite a movement that's going to change Israel. And there's a component of this that he asked a God-sized ask. He chose to do something that was tremendous, and it's so encouraging to see it the way that it play, played out. It's also probably wise to notice that when Nehemiah requested this, that he moved beyond the um, he moved into what we would look at as the personal, that he described this in personal terms. He minimalized the political situation and he deflected away from the previous decree that he makes a statement that ultimately says God's will be done in the midst of this tremendously significant circumstance. You know, this time of year, I, do you like fall? You guys fall and I like fall. I'm driving, you don't because you know winter's coming, right? You're one of those, huh? Yeah, I understand that. And as I'm driving on the highway more this time of year, I'm seeing the, just the fall leaves. I'm seeing, you know, and, and in some sense, there's a part of fall when you, you realize, like, I'm seeing dead leaves, and I think it's beautiful, right? But, but what we know about what's going to happen, the way it usually happens, the way the Lord blesses us, is that, that the death of the leaf as it falls in its beauty 
is also going to be a part of the restoration of that plant in the future, right? The tree. That it's, it, the tree is living. What we just see is something on the, circum, on the surface. And, and I, I love fall for that. I love the idea that God's constantly at work in his creation and that he's rejuvenating his creation. So when Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus at night and he said, he said, what do you mean be born again? I don't understand what you're talking about. What what Jesus was describing was that we can spiritually be taken from death to life, that we can experience this inside of our lives. So in, in the book of Romans, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why the atonement had to happen. It's why the Lord Jesus came. And there's a component of this when we even celebrate those kids that made a statement of faith this last week that we, we celebrate and we say that they went from death to life. And the reason why we say that is because that's what God can do on our behalf. And what we see in this context is that we see that Nehemiah is going to be a part of the catalyst of something that's going to ultimately see individuals go from something that was destroyed, broken down, to be a part of the restoration and I believe that God's still in the restoration business. He can do this in an individual's life. And for some of us, it might be that he chose, chooses to use you and I to be the catalyst in another individual's life. I think part of what that's going to require is it's going to require us to take bold steps of faith. As I was preparing for this message this week, one scenario biblically stood out to me in the book of Mark chapter 4, when the disciples had just experienced some pretty profound miracles. They had gone through uh, some a miraculous healing, uh, casting out, it was really cool things that had happened. And then if you know the story, they get in a boat, and the Lord Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to the other side. And halfway through, on the way over, they encounter a terrible storm. And the disciples are freaking out. I just, this image, for, for whatever reason, just stands out. It says that Jesus is sitting on his mattress. I don't know if Jesus snored. I don't know if that's awkward. But I just picture Jesus kind of maybe half sleeping there and looking at the guys. Like, are they going to be, are, are they, what are they going to do? And, and what they ended up doing is that they were distracted by the storm. Right? They forgot that he said, we're going to go to the other side. And what ends up happening is that he stands up and he rebukes them, not because of how bad of sailors they were. He didn't tell them, you need to take this canvas down and put this one up. He didn't rebuke their skill, but what he did was he rebuked their faith, right? He, he says, we got this, right? He says, we, we can handle this, but, but, but you forgot that we're in this process together. And I think when I see the, the clarity of Nehemiah, that he was a man who chose to pray God-sized prayers, right? That he was a guy who chose to understand God's provision in such a way that, that there was nothing that was going to be able to get in the way of it. Now, um, now you guys know the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, the Christmas movie. Is it too early to talk about Christmas movies? Oh, some of you are Scrooges. I, uh, yeah, shame on you. So I think like Walmart had Christmas stuff out like last week, right? Uh, I mean, not last week, last month, like a month and a half ago. You're like, whatever, Sean, it's been out for a long time. But George Bailey in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, if you've ever seen it, there's this, this element at the end of the movie where at one moment he's ready to give up on his life. He was discouraged, frustrated. He had reasons to be discouraged and frustrated. But 
I've always thought it was profound at the end when he finally gets a dose of perspective that the things that he was worried about are still there. Like the, the struggles are still there. The, the money that had been lost, if you know the story, was still there. But yet there was something that had happened to him where there was nothing that was going to be able to get in the way of what he was going to experience, the kind of joy that he was going to have. And you see it radiate. It's a beautiful story. But I wonder for you if you've ever experienced that before, that your circumstances stop defining your experience of joy and they ultimately are given way to God's authority and power in your life and his ability to be at work in and through you. I think Nehemiah was there. I think he was appropriately scared, but I think he also appropriately prayed God-sized prayers. And what ended up happening at his hands was something tremendous. I'm not sure what your escalator story is. I don't know. I'm not sure what what it is in your life that has the potential of paralyzing you. But with the same way that we watch that video and we kind of mock it, right? How could anybody be so foolish to not lean on the resources that they've been provided? I think that we can say the same thing about what Nehemiah would say if he looked at our lives. Your prayers are so small. Your God can do so much more than you imagine. You can be a part of what God desires to do. I want to ask you by way of application to ask yourself two questions. If you have your notes, there's two that in particular, there's a bunch there at the end of your notes, but two I want to point out in a particular way. I want to ask you to consider where do you see God at work right now and how can you join him? I think that's really in many ways what Nehemiah did. He just saw God doing something. He was a part of what God was going to do. The, the second question is this, what would it look like in your life to attempt something so great that unless God is in it, that it's doomed to failure? That might be pursuing a co-week worker. That might be choosing to approach a neighbor. That might be even talking to your boss. Uh, that might be trying to rekindle a broken relationship, seeking forgiveness. In this room, we've got lots of stories. I want to encourage you to consider what it means to pray like Nehemiah fervently and then also pray even in the heat of the moment and assume that God is intimately at work in your life, whether you take the time to notice it or not. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word that you promise us that it will not return void. And I ask for, for each one of us that you would make it crystal clear to us what it means for us to be in lockstep with your leadership in our lives, what it means to us to be in your hands used, um, what it means for us to be a part of your story. You're an awesome God. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.